You're listening to a best of edition of Stacy on the Right. She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Well, we don't know because we have not talked to anybody who is in the room yet. And we want to ask uh, Mr. Rosenstein about the information we have garnered. These are people who want a better future, and they've just... Right. Hey, look, if a mob came down the street and occupied your home, because you have a nicer home than they do, you wouldn't say, oh, gosh, I really feel sorry for you. You would be pretty angry. This will be an election of Kavanaugh, the caravan, law and order, and common sense. That's what it's going to be. And now, Stacey Washington. Oh, yeah, I'm back. We are all back after a wonderful weekend. And I have to say, I I was even more grateful than I feel like I normally am for the weekend because last week, it was a tough thing that we were able to pull off here at American Family Radio. We were able to exceed our goals by God's grace. He gets all of the glory for the amazing turnout last week from you, the listeners. I'm so grateful for it. I just want to say thanks one more time to everyone who participated in Shareathon, everyone who gave and pledged and uh, called in and left messages and just made the entire Shareathon a huge, wonderful success. It's it's exactly what we were hoping for. And we can't wait to now get back to um, our regular scheduled business, which is news and information. And so what's on the show today? Well, we have RNC spokesperson Cassie Smettel, she's joining us. We're also going to be having our daily confession in just a moment. And we're going to be talking about Nancy Pelosi's collateral damage comments. But mainly, we're going to delve into this whole caravan issue. The Muslim infiltration of that caravan has actually been a real issue. It's real. It's it's happening. And it's something that the news media wants to downplay. And I want to see not just Americans writ large, but elected officials start to take this event seriously. So we'll get into that in just a minute. But right now, I want to get into our daily confession. So I have three things for you, three scriptures. They're quick. And this is about reorienting ourselves to understand who we are in Christ. The world says we need self-esteem. The world says we need to figure out what kind of a warrior we are and take on societal issues and in vanquishing those issues and, and making changes there, we can somehow kind of become um, really self-important, if you will. That's not what God's word says. He has a lot of things to say about who we are in Christ. And when we learn those and we walk in those, we're blessed. And we're not just blessed in material ways. That is nice, but that's not the end goal here. The goal is to become more like Christ, to become sanctified so that when we meet him, we hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, and we're able to go into our reward, the eternal reward that will make everything that we have here that we value. And there's nothing wrong with you know taking care of your home, taking care of your, your vehicle, your family, whatever you have to take care of, we should take care of those things. But our highest esteem should be placed for storing up our treasure in heaven. And the very first step to doing that is obviously knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then afterwards, we don't want to be living like defeated Christians. And I think we're seeing a a stark difference in what that looks like. Defeated Christian living looks like, hey, you're saved. You know, you've given your life to the Lord, but you don't have a lot of victory in your life 
right now. That means you can't experience joy even when the circumstances are not to your liking. When things aren't going your way, you're not able to say, but in God's timing, this too shall pass. We have to get there. But the way to get there is to first, who are we in Christ? So our daily confession for today, 1 Peter 2, 9, you are important to God. And these are the paraphrases of these because I want you to be able to immediately just remember I am important to God. That, that's really easy to remember. You can look the scripture up. It's 1 Peter 2, 9. Psalm 103, 12 says, you are forgiven. Numerous places in the Bible tell us that we are forgiven. All we need to do is ask and God separates our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. He also goes the extra step of throwing our sins, the memory of them into the sea of forgetfulness so that he no longer holds our transgressions against us. Amazing. That's what we want. That's what we want to get into. And then the last one, 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, you're a new creation. So all of the old stuff is gone. All the new stuff is right now here in front of you. And you can walk forward knowing that God has not only worked all things out for your good, not meaning that you're going to have every promotion you're going to and everything you go for is going to be perfectly um, according to whatever you think it should be. Um, and I say that as someone who I keep a prayer journal, I love to, to you know rejoice over when God answers my prayers, but he doesn't do it my way. And there is no part of what I'm doing in writing down what I'm praying for and, and praying that mandates that God has to do it in Stacy time. Rather, it's in God's time. And I have to be joyful, obedient, and grateful walking that out. Because God always has something better for us than what we can dare ask or think. And so it's it's hard to wait, but that waiting brings about patience. It brings about um, perseverance. It is a refining fire. So those are our daily confessions for today. You are important to God. You are forgiven. You are a new creation. Share that with somebody. Tell somebody in the grocery store line or while you're pumping gas, just yell over to them, you're a new creation in Christ. They might look at you a little funny, but smile at them. Be nice. You know, counteract some of this negativity we're seeing. So right now, I guess you've heard, there's a huge caravan of used to be 1,000, then it was three or 4,000, then it was 5,000. Now reports are saying it's seven to 10,000 people, you know, thereabouts, uh, a swell of people two miles long um, and, and growing that have decided they're no longer going to live in their country. They're coming to the United States and no one can stop them. They're really outrageously excited about what they're doing. And even though this represents, in any other sense of the word, any other country that had this many people marching towards its border, armed or unarmed, it would be seen as an invasion. You still see people on the left trying to make those of us who believe in law and order and sovereignty feel bad about the fact that these people are coming here. We're supposed to feel bad about not wanting them to come here. I don't know how you would feel if you came home tonight and 100 homeless people from your city were inside your house, camped out, eating your food, laying around on your furniture and petting your dog, what would you say? You would say, get out. Even if you were outnumbered, you would want them to leave. You would call the authorities. You would say, this is my property. Well, America is our house. It is our property. And those who say otherwise are only interested in cheap labor and depressing wages and future votes for the Democrats, because it's on both sides. The people on the right who call themselves Republicans, who are pro-amnesty and pro-illegal immigration, they're only thinking about their wallets. People on the left are only thinking about votes. I don't care what they're thinking about. It's wrong. So, of course, this new, this newly loosed Senator Lindsey Graham, um, he's, he's still on it, you guys. I mean, I guess we could be 
uh, surprised by it. I'm still a little I'm still a little struck by this new person. He's just he's just so new and interesting. It's wonderful. I'm loving it. But I'm just still like, I don't want the other shoe to drop. Just please don't let this be a temporary condition for him. He is here talking about the caravans needing to be stopped in Mexico. It's number one. Get Mexico to uh, stop them before they get to the United States. Have Mexico work with the United Nations and the United States to deal with refugees before they get to our borders. Uh, I really appreciate Mexico upping their game. Uh, Trump is tough. Mexico is listening to Trump. They're responding to toughness. Uh, These caravans need to be stopped in Mexico. It's a front to our sovereignty. I'll be practical with illegal immigrants who've been in America for decades. I'm not going to tolerate any more coming here through caravans. And we need to change our laws to disincentivize this behavior. But Mexico's the key. We need to work with them. And the president is. We need $5 billion for the wall. The Senate has a billion and a half. I think we can get the extra money. We need to deal with the DACA problem, which is a a real problem, 690,000 people who've been here since they were six years old, no place to go. We need to change our laws so if you bring your kids here, the whole family gets deported. You don't want to incentivize people bringing children to America and somehow they get a better deal if they bring kids. Mexico's the key. These caravans have to go through Mexico. Well, Mexico should stop them. And uh, I really appreciate President Trump being tough. Now, I I mean, what's... The only thing I can disagree with there is that he says he he's practical about um, people who've been in this country for decades who are here illegally. Really? Practical? What's practical about saying the length of time that you've been committing a crime determines what your punishment will be? It, it used to be that if you committed a crime repetitively over time, they would consider that to be entrenched criminality and your penalties would be stiffer. But what Lindsey Graham is suggesting is that because the people have been here for a long time breaking the law and they're used to breaking the law and people around them have forgotten that they've broken the law, but somehow they should be treated differently than fresh new lawbreakers. Do you see why it's an incentive? Do you see why that actually propels more people to come here illegally? Well, it does. (coughs) So my main issue with what he just said there is I agree with everything except this whole idea that we have to be practical about illegals. Um, we, the only practical remedy to this is E-Verify. And then once you've implemented E-Verify and you're punishing employers and they're no longer hiring illegal immigrants, then those illegal immigrants will self-deport many of them. And the ones who really aren't going to go anywhere, those are the ones that you go after for deportation. You prioritize the criminals first, but everyone is subject to deportation when they encounter law enforcement, which is the policy of the Trump administration, by the way. I also saw a chart that showed that um, President Obama was not the deporter in chief. George Bush deported on average every year that he was president 1.3 million people. Barack Obama only deported 800,000 people a year on average during his presidency. So he's hardly the deporter in chief. And while he was doing those 800,000 deportations, he was making amnesty proposals and signing them into, a law, into law by executive order. And so there's this big thing. Um, there's this big concept that's going on here. And, and what people want you to think is, well, most voters don't really care. Most voters just think, you know, if you're here illegally, yeah, actually voters do care. You know who cares the most about this? People who are of Latin extraction. If you take the hardcore 
um, you know, the activists out of this equation, if you take them out of it, if you say, I just want to talk to people who immigrated here legally, who aren't, you know, on the, the email list for Organizing for America, who aren't, you know, eat, lapping up every word out of the mouth of Maxine Waters, you take that 22 to 30 percent of Democrats out of the equation. When you speak to other Democrats, especially those of color, again, not activists, they tell you something pretty uniformly. And that is, I had to work really hard to come here legally. So while I sympathize with people who want to be here, it's not fair for them to cut the line. And it makes us all look bad. As you know, one of the things that's never discussed is the backlash that's happening all across America right now. And I, I'm, I am not saying that Americans are bad people, but I am saying that negative actions have consequences. And so a lot of people who are in this country legally are looked at with a, they're given a second look. Sometimes comments are made because people are going to people because people are wondering, well, are you in the country lawfully? The assumption is if you encounter someone with tan skin, they're probably here unlawfully. That's not necessarily the case. But my goodness, if we really go with the true number of people who are here illegally, 30 million Americans or I'm sorry, 30 million people in America illegally. It's not. First of all, it's not 11 million. It hasn't been 11 million for 20 years. It is 30 million or more people here in this country illegally. If you look at that, you're going to say to yourself, well, how many of these people am I encountering on a, on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? How, how often am I encountering someone who's in this country unlawfully? Now, if you're in construction or if you have construction going on at your house or your business, you're much more likely to encounter people who are in the country illegally because a lot of the construction crews have illegals on them. But they're even smart about that. They don't bring the people who speak zero English and don't look like they've been here very long around the employer or the person who's contracting the work. They bring those guys in and they do work on the part of the site. Uh, it's the beginning of the work getting done or it's the part of the site where they're not interacting on a regular basis with the owner of the property. And again, see, I, I have nothing against people who want to live in America. I get it. I've been all over the world. I've seen what other countries are like. And I have the internet. So any place I haven't been to, I can pull a picture up on Google Earth and I could take a peek. I understand that this is the best place on the planet to live. 179 million Latin Americans from south of our border have expressed an interest in living in this country. That's more than 50% of the current population of the United States. How long would it be if we allowed them all in before our country looked just like theirs? Probably a year if we lasted that long. We got to shut that border down and we got to send our military in to stop that caravan. And I, yes, I'm still a Christian. We'll be right back. Are you still stuck on the healthcare roller coaster? Still paying those high premiums? And strapped into huge deductibles? Not knowing what's around the next turn? Well, then let me tell you about a sound, sensible healthcare choice that really is affordable. It's MediShare, the healthcare sharing solution people like you have been trusting in for more than 25 years. MediShare members report saving around $500 a month on their healthcare costs, and they never pay for things they don't believe in. Time to say goodbye to that healthcare roller coaster. And say hello to MediShare. Call star star 345 to find out how much you can save on your health care. 
MediShare. Call star star 345. Message and data rates may apply. That's star star 345. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. You have probably heard comments about certain people living in a bubble. They live in affluent communities cut off from some of the realities that most Americans face. Due to the research by Charles Murray, we can now identify where these bubble communities are located. In his book, Coming Apart, he argued that a high IQ, highly educated upper class was formed over the last half century that is disconnected from the culture of mainstream America. Charles Murray put a quiz in his book that PBS decided to post online. More than 47,000 people posted their scores along with zip codes where they lived when they were 10 years old. Charles Murray did an analysis of the quiz data along with other data, and even though this is not a true representative sample of America, it does provide some interesting conclusions. Overall, it reinforces our general assumption that many of the leaders in politics, business, and the media grew up and often still live in bubble communities. For example, many of the bubbliest zip codes in America are located in New York or California. In New York City, they're found in the Upper West Side and Upper and Lower East Sides in Manhattan. They're also found in Brooklyn and the suburbs of New York. California has lots of bubble zip codes in the San Francisco region, as well as in the Silicon Valley and the Los Angeles region. We can also find lots of bubble zip codes in the Washington, D.C. area, especially in the suburban communities that house many of the politicians, bureaucrats, and other government officials that make policy decisions that affect our everyday lives. So I hope you share my concern that many of the people who have had such a significant influence in our daily lives live in a world with a very thick cultural bubble that separates them from the lives of ordinary Americans. This is not a positive demographic trend. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. From GraceWorks Pictures, Indivisible, based on the true story of Army Chaplain Darren Turner and his wife Heather. Rated PG-13. Now playing IndivisibleMovie.com. You're listening to a best-of edition of Stacy on the Right. You can download episodes of Stacy on the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, I, I'm just, I'm stunned because our next guest is about to come on and break down how um, there's something in the air. And um, whatever that something is, it's making a lot of Americans call in and donate money to the Republican Party coming up. We're, we're just a couple of weeks away from this midterm election that everyone is saying is going to be this big, huge blue wave. So our next guest is frequently on the program. She's a fan favorite. Um, we have Cassie Smeddle. She's the RNC national spokesperson, Republican National Committee. And we're so excited to have her here today. Cassie, thank you for joining us. Hey, Stacey, always great to be with you. I'm so glad to talk to you about maybe, you know, something that we could consider some good news. Um, so tell us more about this huge fundraising haul. I was, I was kind of surprised to see it. I don't believe in the blue wave, but this is actually proof uh, of the diametric opposite. 
That's right. Well, we've had, of course, a lot of good news going out in the country, but you're going, is this translating? Are people understanding that this all only continues to happen if we continue to get Republicans elected to support the president and his agenda? Are we connecting that dot? And what we're seeing, at least from our fundraising side, which is the only metric we have at the moment, is that people are connecting the dot. We do understand that we have to fight for this majority if we're going to keep all this good news going. And so just one thing I want to share with you, Yes, we've raised untold records amounts of money, over $260 million for the RNC alone, which, as I told you, is going right back into our volunteers and all of our data and all of that good stuff. But I want to talk to you about this online number, because those are typically those smaller dollar fundraisers, maybe $30, maybe $50, but not the multi-thousands of dollars that people often talk about. And those are coming from thousands of new people all the time. Just this year, we've had 175,000 new people who have never before donated to the Republican Party donate to us. Those are those small-dollar donors. Um, Last month, we had three days, one week at the end of the month, where we saw 1,000 new donors each day. We were breaking records each day. That's the enthusiasm that we're talking about. And, yes, I do think Judge Kavanaugh had a huge part in that, but every time that the president is out – at these rallies, reminding people of what's at stake, we see a surge in support. And I'm so, so glad that people are paying attention. Okay, so let's talk about this. Okay, so Cassie, I I saw reports that at a rally recently, there were 100,000 people who wanted to see the president, but obviously could not get in because the venue didn't hold 100,000 people. What That's is going on? rally in Houston. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's for tonight's rally. Brad Versnell, the president's campaign manager, tweeted, at first he tweeted, we've had great support. We're going to switch over to a larger venue. And then he said again today, he said, or I guess it was last night, he said, we've got 100,000 people trying RSVP for this event. There's no venue in Texas that can fit 100,000 people. So instead, we're going to start this tailgate party to accommodate as many people as possible, whether you're in the arena or outside. So they're setting up projectors. They've brought in food trucks. They've brought in live music. And now we've got this big rally going on outside the venue as well. They've been lined up since last night. It's really incredible. It is incredible. And again, 100,000 people. So that kind of voter enthusiasm, if you take the, the traditional mantra that is used in congressional offices all over the country, you know, the field offices, and especially in Washington, D.C., they'll say that one call represents so many thousands of constituents, but, but, you know, depends on the size of the congressional district. If it's in the Senate, it's similar, but, you know, there's only two senators per state. So they'll say it represents this many Mm -hmm. thousands of people. So if they have a hundred calls on an issue, they consider that to be like a fire. They've got a fire to put out. Well, how does that translate Mm -hmm. into people that literally now, some of these people are enthusiastic about Donald Trump because they've never seen anything like this in their life. They were early adopters and they're going to be at the rally that's closest to them no matter what. They're, it's like a, uh, you know, Grateful Dead concert. They're going to be there. But not all of these people qualify in that, in that like every person who was an early adopter for President Trump doesn't have the, the days off from work or what have you to be at every rally. So there has to be something of a phenomenon going on here. And I see nothing about it on CNN or MSNBC And the reason I'm pointing it out is because I truly believe that that concept of the congressional districts and the phone calls, it works everywhere. We had the same thing going on in school board. When when I was on school board in in Ladue, if we had 10 calls on an issue come into the administrative office or if if we had a total of 10 emails come to the seven board members, that was a special Mm -hmm. meeting for us because 
the district had about 19,000 voters in it, more people, but the actual voters who voted twice a year, things like that, 19,000. We knew those numbers. So we know that Houston, that's a huge city. It's a, you know, a huge market and, and for radio, mm-hmm. media, et cetera, et cetera. But Cassie, 100,000 people. I mean, that's, that's unheard of. Not nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, I know we were saying that anybody, and you know this, anybody who's maybe put together an event before, whether it's just, you know, sometimes it's just a birthday party and you think, okay, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to send an invite to 50 of my friends and hope half of them show up. And the president just sends out an email. I'm going to be in this city and get tens of thousands of RSVPs. And to your point about the phone calls, phone calls are important. We understand that that makes a big difference for members of Congress on an issue. They're hearing a lot from their constituents. But that can just be, oh, someone called you up and said, press nine to get through to your member of Congress. What we're talking about are people who are getting in their cars, some cases driving hours, if not across. It's mm. really part of this to show their support for the president, for the good news, for the agenda. I mean, these are the biggest entertainment in town for maybe the year. <laughs> and that speaks to the movement and to the enthusiasm. And you're right. Most of the TV stations have stopped covering them. There's just too many of them. I think really it's, even Fox doesn't cover all of them. But to me, that says because he's doing so many of them. They would never have regularly scheduled programming if they covered all of them. So uh, in some cases, I get it from the bottom line standpoint. But on the other hand, they are ignoring this movement, this Trump effect, this idea that um, everyday Americans feel like their voice matters, which is a change, right? The president said, I'm speaking for all of you who feel that you've been ignored, who feel that your voice won't make a difference. And then now every time he comes back into the country, into these states, you know, three, four times a week, he's saying, remember when I told you your voice mattered? I meant it. And that's another promise made and a promise kept. And you matter. Get out and vote. And I think that's the rallying cry. And that means something to so many of us who you and I talk about this all the time, being from Missouri. There's too many politicians who just consider our part of the country flyover country. Mm. And that's not flyover country to the president. It's not flyover country to Republicans in Congress. Those are our constituents. Those are everyday Americans. And we want to make sure they know that they, they count and they matter. And the president does a great job of that. Okay. So you're so right about that. And I just, I guess... I know why Fox isn't carrying them all the time, but I still think they should have like a, a segment called Rally Watch. How hard would that be, Cassie? Just it's it's yeah. so the segment is called Rally Watch, and you just dedicate every night he has a rally. You dedicate maybe one six minute bit, uh, you know, for the couple of hours that the rally is going on. You just check in at the rally, show the the cr- size of the crowd. The reason I think it's so important for them to do that is because otherwise they get to act as if Joe Biden is bringing the same kinds of crowds when he goes and campaigns for uh, gubernatorial candidate Gillum, which we all know that's not true. Not only is Joe Biden not pulling the crowds, but when the cameras pan over to Gillum, he's always saying things like our collective here in Florida, which uh, a place that's jammed to the rafters with rich people is hardly a collective. I don't even know where they got this guy Mm -hmm. from, but he's not doing well (laughs) as far as drawing crowds where the president is. The enthusiasm is definitely on the right. Um, I, I wanted to get your temperature on this caravan and whether or not, because there's all these, like, it's gotten almost conspiracy, conspiracy theory-ish. Cassie, I'm hearing people saying, well, the Republicans are paying these people to come up in this caravan because this energizes their base on immigration on the wall. I'm hearing people say Democrats paid these people to come up. They're, they want them to attack the southern border because then people who like illegal immigration will turn out and vote. I tend to think 
It's not that at all. It's a bunch of people who see an opportunity. The Democrats are really stonewalling the president on sealing the border. But what do you think? Yeah, I'm closely, more closely aligned with you on this. I think it's a couple of things. One, things are so horrific in their socialist countries that they're looking over into America and they're saying things are going pretty great up there. I hear they have more jobs and they have people to fill them. I think the vast majority see the one million countries. They say, I'm going to go up and I'm going to try and go after that job up in the United States. And to couple that with they've got these Democrats up there who are stopping anything happening on immigration reform. And so it's really easy to get into their country right now. So I think that's really kind of what's motivating them is that they see these lax laws, as the president calls them, pathetic laws, because you can't get any traction so long as you have to work with Democrats on this, Democrats who want open borders, to be clear. And you're seeing the really good news of all of this economic news, which unfortunately or fortunately has created more jobs than we have people to fill them. So I, it's kind of this funny conundrum in that sense that people are coming for the opportunity, but they're doing it because they can do it illegally because Democrats are holding the door open for them. And so that's why the president is saying, I'm happy for you to come here, but you've got to come here legally. We've got to be a country of laws and we have to first fight for American citizens and for those who have come here legally. I think that is a completely logical bar to start the conversation. It's incredible that it's now become the mainstream on the left to think that that is aggressive, that that is not fair. And they continue to put the illegal immigrants ahead of legal American citizens. Um, So I think that's where you have to start. But on the other hand, we've also got to... um, continue to vote and elect people who will keep the good news going. Let's let this be a good problem to have, that we've got more jobs and we have people to fill them. Then let's figure out through the legal immigration process how we can get more people to help fill these jobs, if need be, visa, seasonal workers, all of that. But we can't have any of that conversation so long as you've got the left threatening to tear down walls and open the borders to everyone. It's really incredible. It is. I'm I'm still... I know I'm not supposed to be able to be surprised. I've been doing this, you know, political type stuff for long (laughs) enough. I'm supposed to be hardened and inured to it, but I'm not. In fact, I still find myself really being just stunned, like into speechlessness about some of the things that people are saying, um, namely that we should feel compassion for these people and we have to do something for them. 5,000 people that I mean, we're not talking Mm -hmm. about small numbers here. Imagine what happens if 5,000 people are allowed to march on our border and enter. We have the most powerful military in the entire known universe. And we're just going to sit by and let people just storm the border and come in. We don't even have the facilities on the border to handle a swell of that size. The Mexican police have been overwhelmed, which kind of points to them not having any police. Like they have no police, they have Mm -hmm. no military. Um, What happens... What, what happens if we do send the military down there? We have to send them into Mexico. We can't send them to the border. By the time 5,000 people reach the border, it's too late. What do you think is going to happen with the actual like military deployment? Well, I think the president is well within his rights to send the military to defend our border. That is a constitutional right of our country is to defend our sovereign borders. And you know what I think is interesting about this? You know, time and again, how often do you hear? I just saw Rosie O'Donnell resurface on cable TV last week. And remember, she was one of the ones who was going to flee the United States if Donald Trump won. And lo and behold, she's she's still still hanging out here. Things must be going well for her, too. But 
it reminds me that these countries everybody was going to flee to, Canada mainly, they're not allowing these folks in. They have incredibly strict immigration laws. And they send their folks down into Mexico to stop them before they ever get remotely close to their border. They're not even messing around with us. And so it's incredible to me that these countries that are suitable for these far-left socialists, a la the Hollywood liberals, um, and their laws seem to be fine, but in our country we're just supposed to let everybody in without question. <laughs> and that is the hypocrisy of the left, the hypocrisy of Hollywood. I love that we finally have a president who's got a megaphone that can drown out all of that nonsense to try and say, no, you are not wrong for saying, I have a heart for these people escaping these horrible, social, horrible socialist countries, but I'm not going to bow down to the socialist left in this country to not enforce our laws. We have a right to enforce our laws and protect our sovereign borders. That's our constitutional right. That's not just me being a crazy, kooky conservative. Definitely. And I, I really think like, so for people like yourself, where you're constantly in the media and interacting with, you know, common sense people, and then sometimes I know you, you still go on CNN and there, you have to interact with these people who really are just, they're, they're the actual kooky ones on immigration. And so you have to <laughs> kind of talk to these weird people, but they don't represent the majority of Americans, even common sense Democrats, even people who they may be, you know, lovers of Barack Obama and most of his policies, they don't agree on immigration. And when they're polled, like in Missouri, I wrote a piece for the Kansas City Star, I think it was like a year ago, it might have been earlier this year, where I talked about how Missourians polled uniformly, like a majority of them, of us, since I live here, don't want illegal immigration. And they don't want people who are here in the country illegally to stay. And they don't want an increase in immigration. Um, so the, these are not these are not weird little blips or like anomalies. This is the way people feel all over the country have felt this way for decades. And I, I honestly think if the Democrats orchestrated this, although I I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss to see how they could have done it. Maybe George Soros could have done it, but whatever Cassie, if they orchestrated this, the, the thing that they might have just done is galvanize the election. So it's a landslide in the midterms for the Republicans. Well, you make a good point. I don't know if they orchestrated this, but I, let me put it in another way, a similar parallel. I do believe the left and all of their activist funders orchestrated the Kavanaugh um, controversy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where these people, you know, the Avenatti client, all of these people that had completely unfounded allegations just kept popping up. I think there was some attempted coordination there, and it was coordinated by well-funded people on the left. I know Soros has certainly been founded to um, fund a lot of the protesters who just miraculously all showed up at the same time with all the same signs. So... To that end, um, it's possible, but we saw what happened there, too, that, to your point, that galvanized, that was the boost that we needed on the right to say, this is not okay. I don't know what I believe. I don't know how I feel about this process, but I know that I don't agree with this. And this is not fair. And that this is not the new norm. And so apply that to fill in the blank issue. And it could be very, very good. Cassie, thank you so much for joining the show today. Uh, Cassie Smettel, RNC National Spokesperson. We'll be back with your calls at 866-963-2037 right after this. One of the first steps to becoming a Christian is recognizing our sinful nature. What makes this so difficult is that we have selective vision when it comes to our own issues. It's easy for me to see your faults, but when it comes to seeing my own, then my eyesight automatically gets bad. 
One surefire way to measure new birth in Christ is by opened eyes and a clear vision. Sometimes we can pass between having sight and having no sight because we have fallen asleep to the needs around us, or our perspective on those things that are eternal is distorted. Whatever the case, there is nothing more dangerous than having blurred vision and still thinking that it's clear. Don't measure your vision by your own standards. It will be warped and distorted every time, but rather measure it by God's standards. God desires that our eyesight remains clear. So how is your eyesight today? With the heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Tony Johnson. Connect with us at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. We've been all over the country helping disaster victims who lose everything. It's truly a blessing. I really don't have the words to express. And yet, they see a glimmer of hope when a volunteer shows up. Building the home, that's the second reason we're here. The number one reason is to share the gospel and and give them hope. It's everything that's right in America. I mean, it really represents the, the best that we have to offer. That's one of the main reasons for doing it, is being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus and coming out and working with so many wonderful volunteers. I just feel like it's important in this day and age to teach a child uh, how to serve. Please go to our website, 8daysofhope.com, and click on Get Involved. Submit your email address, and the next time we go anywhere with a disaster, we'll invite you to come along as well. I love coming in the job room because you can see these pieces of paper, they aren't just a piece of paper. Right. It's a family that's hurting, and it's a gospel opportunity. And you know, I just thank God, you know, for this moment. I mean, I'll be back in my home, and I know it's going to be awesome. Come love others with 8 Days of Hope. Fox on Family. My tween daughter recently tried one of those famous kid phrases. You can't tell me what to do. Well, I can because I'm the parent. But is that the best way to respond? You can't argue. All you can do is uh, not lose your cool. Parenting author Harry Harrison Jr. says you can respect their feelings and have a discussion. For instance, if it's pushback on curfew or bedtime. What I would suggest is that you don't argue, but sit down with us. And why do you think you should stay up late? What benefit do you see staying up late? Because we're talking about being prepared at school. We're talking about being awake. But don't let a discussion turn into an argument. And he says, don't waver. You're the parent. You just want to establish your role. And that's so important. They, they want that authority. They're crying for it. And the moment you let go of that authority is when they start to spiral downhill. Harrison also says the more time we spend getting to know our kids, having real conversations when there isn't a problem, the easier it might be to prevent arguments. With Fox and Family, I'm Lisa Brady. You're listening to a best of edition of Stacy on the Right. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I think that, that we owe the American people to be there for them, for, the, for their financial security, respecting the dignity and worth of every person in our country. And if there's some um, collateral damage, for some others who do not share our view, well, so be it, but it shouldn't be our original purpose. <laughs> oh, have you ever heard anyone so neatly dance around the fact that their party is courting lawlessness and causing people to be attacked and injured and harmed? And have you ever heard someone dance around that fact so sweetly and daintily as Nancy Pelosi does just there? Well, we don't want to that, that to be our primary aim, but if there is some collateral damage, well, so be it. Collateral damage, there it is. If it happens, it happens. Is that what you expect out of your elected officials when you 
think of someone who pay, makes 178000 and certainly Nancy Pelosi makes, you know, more than that. Um, but when you think about the basic pay of someone who's in Congress, do you then think, well, you know, what we really need is to have someone there who thinks that if there's collateral damage, then so be it. If people's lives are ruined unnecessarily, then so be it. If people experience hardship, well, then so be it. If there's something bad that happens to people, innocent people, because of the things that we're doing, so be it. We already know that's their attitude. Look at inner cities across the country. Across the country, you have inner cities chalked to the brim with good people, some of them in harrowing circumstances, some of them in circumstances that are their own making. I mean, this is the, the case anywhere you see people with problems. You can trace it back to decisions that they've made. So does that mean they don't deserve help? Obviously, I don't believe that. I believe everyone should have access to help. And I think it's really incumbent upon us to say, I'm going to look for sources of help for places where I can get help. I'm going to look for solutions to my problems. I'm going to take them to the Lord in prayer, but I'm going to be action oriented in my faith walk. And I'm going to find what I can find and work hard so that I can get out of this situation that I got myself into. Right? So it's kind of surprising to hear that she feels like, you know, there's collateral damage. If there's collateral damage, it's okay. But you know why? Because there's already collateral damage. Any person living in an inner city can thank the plight that they're living in to their own poor choices and to the Democrats. Because the Democrats control lock, stock and barrel 100 percent most of the inner cities across the country. That kind of one-party rule without any input from the other side, no ideas that are outside of the extreme left are now tolerated. When you get to that place in in governance, then you start to see people dive bombing out or they're just suffering. Generational poverty, high rates of death and disease, and no way out. Now, some people do escape. Some people do say, you know what? I'm looking here and I see a rank difference between the way I'm living if I choose to live in the city and the way I can live if I choose to just get to even a slightest bit of the suburb. And so I'm going to work and I'm going to save and I'm going to get out of here. And families where you see that happening, the transition is obviously, it's not easy, but is there anything good that's worth having that's super easy that just comes to you like that? Or is it really what most of us know, if you've been around the, this, this earth a couple of you know, rotations, more than two or three rotations, you know that you actually have to put some prayer and some fasting and some serious planning into writing something that's wrong, whether it's outside your home or within your home, whether it's within your own personal body, sickness or illness that you're dealing with, chronic condition, or even just something as simple as Insomnia, dealing with insomnia. I know so many people who are dealing with that. I'm, I'm one of them. It is a real full-time job dealing with insomnia. Of course, you pray about it, but there are certain things you have to do in order to deal with that. And, and so everywhere I look, I see people battling and, and striving to work through circumstances. And then you see the Democrats, they're saying, well, you know, our chief aim isn't to see people harm, but if people get harmed, there's some, some collateral damage is necessary and it's going to happen. And so there it is. Any person who talks that way, blanket statements, that's a totalitarian right there. Nancy Pelosi has gone from being the voice of reason in some aspects when it came to Maxine Waters calling out all Republicans and saying, well, Republicans should just be run out of public spaces. And she said, that's not our thing. That's not us. 
everyone's been talking about impeachment, Maxine Waters specifically. Nancy Pelosi's like, yeah, you know, we may want to impeach him, but we don't talk about that. I mean, you got to respect somebody who knows how to campaign and be a politician. But in the end, she can't get away from the totalitarian leanings that are currently in charge of the Democrats, which tell her that, hey, a caravan of 5,000 people come to the United States, chock full of ISIS terrorists and, you know, all those guys, chock full of former Al-Qaeda members practicing under some new flag. A hundred of those types of individuals were apprehended before the caravan reached Mexico. They're mixing in. You have people from the Middle East mixing in with these people and entering the United States. They have a terrorist cell that they're aware of and investigating the FBI in every single state in the union. And we're sitting up here trying to figure out if it's unkind to say not they you shall not pass to quote uh, Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings. Somebody had better light up a fire stick and, and stand at the gate and say, you ain't coming in here. It occurred to me over the weekend that it might actually be up to America's militia to arm up and travel to the southern border and defend it. I mean, I, this is where we are. If we don't have action on behalf of American citizens and these people, but imagine how big the caravan will be. If it's already swelled to seven to 10,000, imagine how big it will be when they finally get through Mexico. The Mexican people don't want to live in their country. They don't like being Mexicans. They don't like their government. They don't like the corruption. They don't like the bribery system that they have to operate under. And they certainly don't like the fact that their country is adjacent to ours and that it's so demonstrably better over here. Imagine how many Mexicans who they wouldn't illegally immigrate otherwise because they know they would be deported and they're just they're they're not the ones who are the tip of the spear on illegal entry and reentry. Imagine how many of them would say, you know what, I'd never go in by myself with just me and my kids. But I mean, if there's going to be a caravan that passes by here and there's 10,000 people in it, what are what's four more? And that's what you're seeing. They honestly think that. If we just overwhelm the system, if we just push down the fencing and cross in, what can they do? And then I, I, a lot of them have been interviewed by our leftist media, and they're saying things like, I'm going to America for a construction job. They just think we have construction jobs laying around that they can just walk in and say, hey, I want to do construction, and then they can do it. They think that this country is literally just, all you got to do is show up here. You've got work. We pay for your kids' medical. We pay for your kids' education. It's a great place to just show up and be. But the fact is, we know that we don't have just free educations lying around here. We are working to pay the taxes that fund those free educations. My husband and I are paying an enormous amount of tax to the public school district to which our children do not attend because they are obsessed with male and female sexual interactions and genitalia. All of the news out of our kids' AAA rated school district that we live in, the public school, is about sex ed, Planned Parenthood, and LGBT students taking over school board meetings. They don't have any press conferences or huge uh, news media events about closing the black achievement gap, increased test scores among the bottom fifth of the students who do not yet meet proficient or advanced on their standardized tests. They don't have any announcements like that. The latest thing I got from them was notification that I need to vote yes on their prop. It's a proposition they have on the ballot in November. They're asking for more tax money. But this time, instead of increasing our taxes, they're saying 
a bunch of bond issues that have previous been, previously been set that keep the tax rate at its current level are about to expire, meaning they're paid off. Rather than let us keep or, or actually receive more of our own income to ourselves, they're saying, we don't want to give you a tax decrease. In other words, we don't want to let you get used to, you know, you, you've been without this money. You can't have it back. We, we still need your money. So what they're going to do is they're going to have a no increase tax increase, simply continue the taxation level at its current rate, even though the bonds that were issued that needed to be paid for with our taxes are now paid off. Do you see how slippery and shysty these people are? Less than 40% of the households that pay taxes in this district. So every household pays taxes. That's 100%. 40% of those households have kids in the district. 100 minus 40 is 60. So 60% of us, my family's in that group, we pay taxes to the district, but our kids don't go there. And they still need a tax increase? They still need to renovate buildings and add this and add that? If you want a world-class facility, how about if you make an educational product that is so primo that 100% of the families who have kids in the district are sending their kids there, and 100% of the other families that no longer have kids in the district is because their kids went to the district and graduated and have gone on to college and are now back with their families to put more kids into the district. But they're not worried about creating a world-class educational product. They don't have to. They've already got our tax money. They don't have to answer to us. They can sit around all day teaching sex ed and these perverted ideas about human sexuality. They can put anything they want in their curriculum. They can have their NEA-approved school board members elected year after year after year. Even when common sense regular people run, the NEA runs these huge campaigns against them, tens of thousands of dollars in these tiny school board races. And what happens? Check those test scores, though. Yeah, they're a AAA-rated district, but check those test scores. Nothing like the test scores of the private schools in this area that turn out a fantastic product, but you have to pay. And if your kid can't do the work, if they won't show up to class, if they're insubordinate, if they start fights, if they're violent, if they use profanity, if they harass and bully their fellow students, they're out the door. And so you get a better classroom environment because everyone knows my parents are paying a lot of money for me to be here. And if I get the boot, my parents are going to take my car or I'll never get a car. My parents will rain down fire and brimstone on me if I don't at least show up to class and turn in my work because they're paying for me to be here. Oh, parent-teacher conference? It's like a, a rock concert. Parents crowding up in the hallways trying to get in to find out how their kid is doing and get those papers and look in those teachers' eyes. Why? Because they're paying. So we were like that when our kids were in public school. I'm not going to lie to you. We've always been those parents. We will show up at the building in 15 minutes. You, you call and say somebody's got an in-school, we're there. We're going to find out why it's in school, what happened, who did what to who, and exactly how much punishment was doled out to everybody, and then look in our own kid's face and say, uh-oh, looks like you're getting a little bit of what you deserve because you did X, and the rule is you can only do Y. We were those parents, and we still are. But the fact is, that when you hear a politician talking about collateral damage, that's because they've already got your money. They've already got your vote. And so if anything bad happens to you, they don't care. They don't answer to you. They answer to their donors. They answer to George Soros. They answer to the people who actually put their donations in their pocket that drive the signs and the door knocking and help pay for their second and third home. That's who they answer to. So the reason why Donald Trump is so popular I mean, yeah, it's indirectly related to Nancy Pelosi saying dunderheaded things like collateral damage is okay. It's related to that. But really, I'll tell you the secret. 
The reason why Donald Trump is so popular is because he is that every man and he keeps delivering. And he would never say, well, if there's some collateral damage, that's okay. He would never say that because when he hears collateral damage, he thinks about Don Jr. and Spencer, who just turned six, who was at the birthday party. He thinks about Ivanka Trump and those three grandkids. To him, collateral damage could just as easily be a Trump as it could a Washington. And that is the secret to the 100,000 people who want to see him at his rally in Houston. And they won't be able to because there isn't a venue in the state of Texas big enough to hold 100,000 people. Yet another huge accomplishment for Donald Trump. So I, I honestly don't care who likes the president or who doesn't. I don't care if you want to be friends with him or have dinner with him. I, I don't have a desire to be friends with or have dinner with any of the United States presidents. That's just not how I think. That's just not something I sit around and concern myself with. But what I do want is someone who's going to tell the truth about what they plan to do when they get into office. And we've seen that. It's, it's baked in. And we've also seen that because Donald Trump comes from such enormous wealth, he's not able to be purchased by lobbyists. And notice how... Out of all the criticism this level against him, a few people have said, oh, he's been bought and paid for by the Russians. Really? As Putin said, there are so you have so many wealthy people in your country. You have a lot of wealthy people. It, it has to be Putin that would have bought Donald Trump off and bought him off with what? Once you get to be a multi-billionaire, unless you've got a gambling problem or something like that, you don't have a lot of people on the face of this planet who can actually buy you off. So this is this election is about Christians standing up and saying, you know what? Enough is enough. Collateral damage. No, thanks. We we're going to discuss this crazy scene at this diner in Kentucky where Mitch McConnell and his wife were accosted. We'll discuss that. But I hear the music. You know what? If you are leaving us right now, God bless you. Enjoy your next program. If you're staying with us, we'll be back with more straight talk to the citizens of this country from the heartland right after these messages from onenewsnow.com. Stay right there.